Well, maybe uh, you've experienced this phenomenon. Maybe it was late at night, you can't sleep, two in the morning, you turn on the TV. Maybe it was early in the morning, maybe you were homesick from work, turn on the TV, and you encounter this unique phenomenon called the infomercial, right? They, they are an intriguing thing of genius, in a way. Now, what an infomercial does is, is they present these products that you've never seen in your life, right? And, and I've broken down, I've analyzed it scientifically for you, and there, there is, in my opinion, a three-step process to the infomercial. The first step in this process is just doubt, right? They introduce this project or this uh, product, and you go, who in the world needs this? So case study, there's uh, an invention out there called the Snuggie. Do you know what this is? It's, it's a blanket that literally has sleeves in it, right? And I, I don't want to burst your bubble. If you have one, if you're a Snuggie fan, you can achieve the same thing by turning your bathrobe backwards, right? Same, same thing. But if you spent two easy payments of 1995, enjoy your purchase, right? But, but there's this doubt where you go, who, who needs this thing? And, and the marketers, they know this when they're trying to pitch this product, right? So they move us from doubt to, to discontent. And the way that they do this is they get literally the most incompetent people you've ever seen to do ordinary things. So in one, one instance I saw, they're, they're chopping vegetables. And people have been using like a kitchen knife for thousands of years, right? Suddenly in this infomercial, this person loses all motor control and using a kitchen knife to chop vegetables is the hardest thing in the world. Until you purchase the Mega Chopper 5000, right, that easily chops all your vegetables in perfect little diced slices. And now what they've done is they've created discontent and you've moved from doubt to going, ah, my kitchen knives, they're not good enough. I need something more, right? And then what they do is they move us from doubt to discontent to desire. I have to have this new thing, the Snuggie blanket with sleeves or the Mega Chopper 5000. I need this thing. And, and, and I think what these marketers do is, is they latch on to what I think is a broader cultural phenomenon of needing more. We're a culture that, that we love excess. We love this idea of pursuing more. And the reason I think this is important to look at is we've been walking through 1 Peter, talking about this series that we've entitled The Good Life. And for a lot of us, when we think about living the good life, we think about attaining more. We might say, like, I, I could live the good life if I had a better car, a bigger house, if I could get that promotion with better pay and more power and influence in my job, then, then I would be living the good life. And we sort of live in this perpetual state of discontent, chasing that one more thing that will cause us to finally be living what we might call the good life. But if you read 1 Peter, he begin, begins to describe this idea of the good life in radically different ways. For Peter, the good life is not about attaining more. It's not about what can I get. For Peter, the good life is about a life turned outward on itself. For Peter, the good life is about living life invested in God's mission and purpose. For Peter, the good life is about being involved in something that's bigger than us. This is about the movement of the gospel that's spreading all over the world. And Peter says, listen, as the body of Christ, we have an invitation to pour our lives into something bigger, to live life involved and invested in God's purpose and mission. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about 1 Peter 4.10. It says, each of you use whatever gift you've received 
to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. And Pastor Steve talked about this idea that that to live the good life is really about learning and understanding what it is to be a grace giver. Think about about the beauty and the truth of what 1 Peter 4.10 says. He says, each of you, as, as unique persons, God has gifted you with a unique personality and unique gifting. And Peter says, when you bring that gifting to the table and offer it in service to God, you have the opportunity to make an impact in the life of another. He says, you are a steward of God's grace. So church, when we bring our personality and our life and our gifting to the table, you become a unique conduit, a means of God's grace in the life of another person. Think about that. How amazing is that? I think sometimes, though, our our tendency can be to fall back and say, you know what, life is hard enough. I'm just going to try to survive. And we're tempted to live disengaged from God's mission and just try to get through life, just try to pay the bills, just try to survive. But Peter says, listen, the good life is not just about survival. It's about being engaged in something much bigger than ourselves. It's about being invested in God's mission and purpose. Because church, when we live disengaged, we can be tempted to think this doesn't really affect anybody else. This is just me. I'm doing my thing over here. But church, when we refuse to bring our gifting to the table in service to God's mission and purpose, we rob somebody else of the opportunity to encounter God's grace in the unique way that God has gifted us to do that. In college, as I began to to prepare and to study for ministry, I had this opportunity. I had interned at a church uh, for about three years. And I was taking a class on preaching, and the pastor that I was interning under, he said, hey, we, we really want to try something different, and we would, we would like you to, to preach on Sunday morning. This was a church of about 300 people, and it's one of those moments where, almost like an out-of-body experience, outwardly I'm saying, yeah, I'd love to. Inwardly I'm like, no, don't, don't do it, because I, I had a, a like crippling fear of public speaking, hated it. I mean, I'm talking like in high school, if I had to give a a speech or presentation, I would be physically sick to my stomach. And in my thought process was nobody has to give speeches that much in life. So once I'm through high school, like this will all be behind me. And then God calls me into ministry. And now I'm standing in this office and this pastor saying, yeah, we'd like you to preach on a Sunday morning. And for some reason I agreed. And, and I put hours of preparation and work. And the night before I'm supposed to preach, I, I go to bed early so I can be well-rested. And I could not sleep all night. I, I was physically sick to my stomach. All night, tossed and turned, just waiting to, to puke because I was so nervous. And it was one of those moments where I started to argue with God, right? And, and I told him, listen, this isn't worth it. This whole not being able to sleep, being torn apart by nerves, this is not worth it. A person cannot live life this way. And I told God, tomorrow, I have to. I'm, I'm, I'm already committed, but I am done. I will preach tomorrow. That's it. No more. I'll survive that one. And I got up that morning and I went to church and I sat nervously in the pew, sweating through my shirt and my suit jacket, waiting for that moment to preach. And, and I preached this message, and there was a student in their youth ministry who came forward. He was the only person that responded, but he gave his life to Christ that day. And, and they had this moment walking out of the church. The lights are off. Everybody's gone. And it's just this quiet moment. And God began to speak to me. And he said, listen. He said, you're calling, and your gifting is not yours to choose when you lay it down and when you pick it up. 
And I had not an audible voice, but the closest thing I've ever, I think I've ever had, where God spoke in my heart and he said, listen, you have no idea who waits on the other side of your obedience. Listen, church, we cannot afford to live disengaged from God's mission. Peter says, each one of you use whatever gift you've received as, as in service to others, as faithful stewards of God's grace. God has uniquely designed and created you to have an impact in the life of another person. And if we choose to disengage, we are robbing someone of the opportunity to receive God's grace in obedience to us being involved in God's mission. God invites us into this, and the good life is to be involved and invested in the mission of God. Here's the temptation. I think for each one of us, we are tempted to believe, I don't have influence. I mean, how many times when, when we think about, I mean, it sounds like a grandiose thing, doesn't it? To say you're invited into something bigger than you, that God has this plan and purpose and mission for you. It sounds like this big thing. Preachers are great at talking big, and then we walk out and we have no idea what it means. And sometimes we talk like this and we're tempted to think, I, I don't have any influence. Well, what difference can I make in, in the mission of, of the gospel? And, and I think what's fascinating is that the people that Peter is writing to, these are people without influence. And, and I think sometimes we think, okay, if I was uh, a manager or a leader in the workplace, if I was a person of, of position and power and status in society, I could make a difference. But, but little old me, I don't, I don't have influence. But when you read 1 Peter in chapter 1, he says, to the believers who were exiles scattered throughout Pontius and Galatia and several other Roman provinces. In chapter 2, Peter calls the people that he's writing to, he says, you are aliens and strangers. Other translations say exiles and foreigners. And what you see is the people that Peter is writing to, they are not the upper crust of Roman society. The people that Peter is writing to are, are in the social ladder of Roman society. They would be just above the level of a slave. That they're a foreigner and a stranger uh, tells us that they are not protected by the laws of Rome, so they don't even have the status of, of citizenship that would grant them certain rights. These are a people who are foreigners, strangers, exiled. Literally, by definition, they do not have influence in this society. And yet Peter tells them, give your life away. Be involved and invested in the mission and the purpose of God. Use whatever gift you've received to serve others. And in that simple, humble act of serving others, we begin to have cultural influence that's so much bigger than us. If I use the phrase going viral, most of us know what that means, right? I mean, we live in a social media world, and so going viral is, is if I post like a YouTube video or a meme or something, and somebody likes that and shares it, and somebody likes it and shares it and likes it and shares it and retweets it and snaps it, this, this thing that I've posted can go viral, which means it can have a reach of millions of people because it gets shared and connected one person at a time. And the reason we call it going viral is because that movement mimics how viruses infect something. There was a group of researchers at the University of Arizona in Tucson who wanted to research how viruses travel and how quickly they travel. So what they did is they developed a tracer virus. It wouldn't actually make you sick, but it mimicked the, the genetic structure of the neurovirus. Do you know what the neurovirus is? It's a nasty gastrointestinal thing, like stomach flu, bad. 
which makes this illustration all the more gross when I'm going to get to the end of it. So they said, we, we want to see how quickly a virus can travel. So what they did is they went to several office complexes and they would put the virus on one object. They would go back later and they would take swabs of people's hands and different objects to see how quickly the, it had spread. They said, in summary, they found that between two and four hours, that virus traveled from the one surface and had infected somewhere between 40 and 60% of all the surfaces in that office. In, in one specific experiment, they placed the virus just on the push bar to go into the building, not even inside the building, just on the push bar to go in. They said within four hours, 50% of the hands and of the surfaces in that office were infected with this tracer virus. They did it in a hotel room. They put the virus in one hotel room. They said within two to three hours, it had spread to the next five hotel rooms. Moral of the story is go camping instead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but how do viruses travel? That one person walking into the office, they grab the doorknob. They now have the virus on their hand. They give a high five to that person they worked on a project with. They shake their boss's hand. They make coffee. And the virus spreads one intentional contact point of, at a time. You make contact. You make contact. You make contact. And one by one by one, this virus spreads and it has a profound impact. Church, listen, I think this whole gospel thing that we believe in, this thing can go viral too. And here's what I mean. It spreads by one intentional point of contact at a time. So you ask, what influence do I have? Think about the number of people that you come in contact with in, in a single day. And think about the opportunities we might have to have a spiritual involvement and investment in the life of each one of those persons. One intentional contact point at a time. The good life is not about attaining more. It's about being involved in something bigger than us and being invested in the call and the purpose and the mission of God. So as Peter gets to chapter 5 in his letter, he begins to speak to the elders. These are people who have been in the church for a season. And he says, listen, when, when you were in church and, and you were a believer, he says, there comes a point when you shift from being a sheep to being someone who follows, you shift to being a shepherd, to being someone who influences. And he begins to describe this process of stepping towards maturity, where as shepherds, we have an intentional involvement and investment in the life of another person, an intentional point of contact where the gospel can be transmitted and another disciple can be made. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. To the elders among you, I, Peter, appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows grace and favor to the humble. So Peter begins speaking to the elders and he says, listen, there's got to come this shift in your life from being a follower to being an influencer. And he says, the time has come to step into being a shepherd. And I love how he says, I appeal to you. An appeal is more than just, hey, it would be nice. It would be convenient if 
No, there's a sense of emotional power and presence behind this thing. Peter says, I appeal to you, be shepherds. And he uses a sort of commanding language. Step into this, he says. He says, it's time as a person of mature faith, it is time to step out of asking what can I receive and what can I get? And it's time to step into being an influencer and a shepherd in the life of another. So the question we, we could ask and should ask is, what does it even mean to be a shepherd? And he defines it this way. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them. So he talks about having people under your care and he talks about watching over them. And the watching over is not a, I'm going to watch your life to see if you mess up. Ooh, you hit your finger with the hammer. I heard that dirty word, right? That's, that's not what he's saying. When Peter talks about caring for and watching over the life of another, what he's saying is you have an intentional spiritual investment in that life and you're concerned about their faith journey. To be a shepherd in the life of another person is to step alongside them and say, let's do this faith journey together. As, as I talk to people about this concept of being a shepherd, of being an influencer, I, I often get similar pushback. And oftentimes I will hear people say something like, well, what if, what if somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to? Or, or, you know, I really, I should know my Bible more. I should know more theology. I should know more doctrine. And often what I hear when challenging someone to step into being a shepherd, to being an influencer, whether it's a, a volunteer, whether it's a small group leader, whatever, they often are tying spiritual maturity to spiritual knowledge. And they say, if I just knew more of the Bible, if I just had more wisdom and understanding, I would be able then to actually be an influencer. But for Peter, he does not tie spiritual maturity to how much you know. Over and over again throughout the, the writing of 1 Peter, he attaches maturity to living out what you believe tangibly. It's not just about knowledge. It's about wisdom that is applied to everyday life. Stepping alongside someone else and saying, let's do this faith journey together. I don't have all the answers but I'll pass on to you what's been passed on to me and I will have an influence in your life on this journey. I mean, there, there's the invitation for us. Will you and I step into places of being shepherds and influences in the life of another, knowing that one intentional contact point at a time is how disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and this thing has global impact. So what does shepherding look like? How do we step into shepherding? I think Peter gives us a great example for understanding how it is uh, that we step into being an influence in the life of another. The first thing he says is, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, which to me raises the question, what's, what's the flock under my care? If we're going to step into being a shepherd, the first thing that we have to do is identify our sphere of influence. Again, we have that temptation to say, well, well, I don't have influence. Listen, church, I don't buy that. I think each one of us, God has gifted us with a sphere of influence, people and places that we live in proximity to that we can have an impact on. So maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. If that's true, God has called you and given you the opportunity to, to shepherd your family and to shepherd your children. Do that well. Maybe at your workplace, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm not a leader at work. I, I don't have a formal position of authority. You know, I, I just do the things that I'm told. That might be true, but you still work in an office with people and you can have influence there as a shepherd who has an intentional interest in the spiritual well-being of people all around you. You have a sphere of influence. Step one in being a shepherd is identify the sphere of influence that God has blessed you with. 
Step two, I think, is to recognize what influence looks like. How, how do we begin to step into influence? And in this next section of this part of the letter, Peter uses three, three statements that follow a similar pattern. He will say being a shepherd looks not like this, but like this. And he begins to compare and contrast our typical image of what power and authority influence looks like with what shepherding actually looks like. So the first thing that Peter says as he begins to define influence is this. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, not because you must, but because you're willing. Being a shepherd is not about I have to, it's about I get to. Peter's goal and my goal today as a preacher is not to say, can I make you feel guilty enough that you walk out going, oh, I should shepherd someone. That's not it. For Peter, he's saying to be a shepherd is to recognize that God has given you the privilege and the opportunity of having the ability to make an impact in the life of another person. And as believers, when we step into the call and the mission of God, we have this opportunity to be part of something bigger than ourselves and to bring that hope that Jesus has done in our lives, to bring that to bear in a new situation. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, you've been given new birth into a living hope. I mean, imagine that. Church, we live in a world that desperately needs hope. And you know what? We have the message of hope. This is not a, well, I guess I have to be spiritually aware and make an investment in the lives of others. This is not an obligatory thing. This is Peter saying, recognize that you have the privilege and the opportunity to have influence in the life of another. Peter then goes on and he says, this is not about pursuing dishonest gain, but this is about being eager to serve. In other words, being a shepherd is not what can I give, but it's not what can I get, but it's what can I give. We often think that as leaders, it's about power and authority and attaining more position and status. But Peter says, no, 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 don't use this position for your gain. He says to have an influence in the life of another is not about what can I get, it's about what can I give and how can I invest in the life of another. And for Peter, this is all about maturity. As you grow in your faith, Jesus is forming and shaping us into the kind of people whose default response is service. That more and more our character is to live and to love and to serve like Jesus did. Finally, Peter ends this section of the letter by saying, as a shepherd, don't, don't lord it over other people. He says, but instead set an example for them. The principle here is, as, as a shepherd, we, we influence not with command and authority, but rather with a depth of character. We often associate influence with power and with status and position, and we think, once I have that, then I can be an influencer. Peter says, no, 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 this is not about command. This is not about lording it over others in a position of power and status. He says, this is about a depth of character that you live out your faith in such a compelling way that people go, there's something different about this person. Or listen to how he says it in chapter two. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. He says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Catch this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Did, did you hear what he said? He says, live your faith in such a way that they watch your faith be validated in the life that you live in. They watch how you live and go, there's something different. And he says, people will actually praise God because of living out our faith with a depth of character and integrity that aligns with God's word. It makes influence profoundly more simple and attainable, doesn't it? And for Peter, he ends this by saying, after all, we serve under the chief shepherd. 
He says in verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive your crown of glory. In other words, church, we're not doing this. We're not investing in the call and mission of God to get something out of it. He says, we're serving under the chief shepherd, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to point people to Jesus. Here's the question. Will we step into being shepherds to having an intentional influence and investment in the lives of other people? From being a follower to also now being an influencer. I think so far we like the conversation about being an influencer. We like the conversation about what it is to be a leader. In fact, I read the other day that there are over 10,000 books, articles, and magazines on leadership. There is a lot written about what that is. But as Peter begins writing in verse 5, he he begins to shift his focus, not just on being a shepherd, but he says, now I'm going to talk to those who are younger among you. And he says this in verse 5. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And Peter begins to talk a little bit about what it means to receive influence. Man, it's hard to receive influence sometimes, isn't it? Can I, can I talk to the young people, young leaders in the room for a second? I'm going to put myself in that camp too with the young leaders. In my role at Grace Point, I get the opportunity to do a lot of hiring, read a lot of resumes, interact with a lot of young people looking to step into a position of influence. And one of the things that I hear, and I love the passion, there's often an eagerness to have a public platform they, they want an opportunity to get to do what I'm doing today, and they want that moment to lead worship up front or, or to lead a team of people, and they're desirous of that public platform. And my advice to them over and over again is, listen, right now, your biggest responsibility is to build a depth of faith and character in your life so that when you have a public platform, you have a depth of faith and relationship with Jesus from which to speak and to minister. I think as young people, we're we're eager and desirous of having a voice and a seat at the table where decisions are made, right? That's, we want that. And we want a seat at that table. And in, in getting that seat, we want our voice and our potential leadership to be validated. So when Peter says something like, to you who are younger, submit to your elders, oh, that's hard to hear, isn't it? But I think for some of us young people, there's a season where we need to submit to those in leadership over us. And to submit doesn't mean subservience. Right? Subservience is, is lesser than. To submit does not mean subservience. Submission means living in an orderly way under the leadership of another person. In other words, will you humbly allow someone to speak into your life and receive what they're saying? And, and there's four quick things that I, that I think are important here. Number one is, is to be a listener. When someone is speaking into your life, be willing to listen and ask questions before you speak. And in this way, have the posture of a learner. And in the middle of this, learn to let go of your pride. If you don't have a seat at the table yet, soak in those who are investing you and being an influencer in your life and learn and listen well from them. And ultimately, at the end of this, lean into shepherding someone else. Just because you're in a season of receiving influence from another doesn't mean you won't then have the opportunity to lead. In fact, Peter says, Elders, for you who've been in the church for a season, step intentionally into that place of being a shepherd and having an intentional investment in the life of another. And for Peter, he says, this is the good life. 
It's not about what you get. It's not about what you attain. It's not about that position of power or authority or status. It's not about more, more, more. No, for Peter, he says, it's about giving your life away in service to others. So here's this question. I want to end with this. Where does this good life start? How do we embark on this journey? And I think Peter ends his letter going back to the beginning and saying, this is it. This is where the good life starts. Verse 6, he says this. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So if you're going to start investing your life as a grace giver, bringing who you are to the table and offering it in service to God, it begins right here with number one, humbling yourself, submitting yourself to God. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And to humble yourself under God's authority is to say, I'm letting go of my agenda. I'm letting go of my purpose. And I'm taking hold of God's mission and purpose for my life. And this raises the question, what's your ultimate goal in life? What are you living for? What are you hoping to attain? Because the answer to that question will say something about the trajectory of your life. What is the trajectory of your life? Here's the question I ask, though, is humbling myself under God's mighty hand is is intimidating. To be humble, to be submissive, is to place oneself in a vulnerable position. So Peter, as he writes this, I think he does this brilliantly. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, for some of us, we might hear God's mighty hand and think, oh, God is, you know, he's ready to smite us or God's ready to interact with anger. But when you read the Old Testament where it talks about God's mighty hand, it's always in relation to God's hand is mighty to save and God's hand is able to redeem. And so Peter says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. When we recognize that God is mighty, then, then humility is, isn't an intimidating thing. We are submitting ourselves to a God whose mighty hand is watching over us and is able to provide and able able to see us through as we respond in faithfulness to his mission. It's when we recognize that God is mighty and that God is good that we can truly and fully submit our lives to him. Peter then goes on and he says this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. In due time, he will lift you up. And he says, cast your anxiety on him. Now, let let me remind you of the context of this letter. Peter wrote this letter to exiles scattered throughout the Roman Empire. In chapter 2, verse 11, again, he calls them foreigners and strangers. These are people who are socially marginalized. They are outcasts in the Roman Empire. And it's likely that their very economic livelihood is threatened, that they don't know if they can feed their family, if they don't know if they can provide, all because they have been faithful and obedient to what God has called them to do. And when our circumstances are beyond our control, I don't know about you, but for me, it creates anxiety that there's things happening and taking place in my life that I feel powerless to adjust. And in the middle of that environment, Peter says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Entrust your life to him and those circumstances that you can't control that are causing anxiety to flare up in you. He says, would you cast those over to your father? Trust his mighty hand is able to save. And, And I love this. Peter ends by saying, and trust that he cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you trust that the God of all creation who literally spoke the world into being, that that God looks at you and he sees you and he loves you and God cares for you? 
that you are not a faceless person in the midst of a, a multitude or a crowd, but God that sees you and he loves you and God cares for you. And so Peter says, entrust your life to him. Give your life away in something that's bigger than you. Submit and surrender your plan and your purpose for life over to God and take up his plan, his purpose for your life. Entrust it in the middle of it all that God will guide you. God will take care of you. And God's got you. So what's the application? Application is simple. Somebody's asked me one time, you know, sometimes you get to the application, it's just a quick point. What is that? Because at this point, the application, it needs to be simple. There's nothing more that, that I can tell you or, or, or do to try to convince you. It's simply this. Church, two things. Entrust your life to God and invest your life in somebody else. That's it. That's the action we take. Entrust your life to God and invest your life in somebody else. Be a shepherd. Be an influencer in their life. Be a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. And let's see this thing go viral.